0: Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast featuring the Crop Doctors. Hey folks, Jason Bond in the Crop Doctors Podcast Studio in Stoneville. The entomology group is still with us. We're going to double up on some episodes. So if you listen to the one about plant bugs and cotton, we're recording this right on
1: the heels of that one. Tom's knocking stuff over. I was going to say, we're just playing musical chairs between entomologists. Please try to
0: control your arms and the equipment
1: wow. <laughs> I'm working on it. <laughs> <laughs> Quit flailing your arms. <laughs> yeah. I'm, like, I'm, just, I'm, I'm in here trying to, y- y'all be able to watch this on the pre-recorded video when those yeah. are released. Yeah, that's right. And for those of
0: you that are still wondering about the video, there is no video. <laughs> oh. <laughs> there's, there's, no, video. there's no plan to have a video until we have a full time podcasting staff, which we absolutely we can't do not afford have. and
1: do not need.
0: Yeah, <laughs> no, we we don't. So Whitney's here. Good to see you, Whitney. Hey, Angus is still hanging out with us, thinking about. All the bugs that he's missing out on while he's sitting in here, <laughs> he's in the podcast studio,
1: focused on the Wiggins Beast and what his entrance music will be, <laughs> and <laughs> I, I just I've finishing just, move and who his first opponent will be. No, he's not paying any attention <laughs> to the rest of the conversations. Here he's thinking about wrestling glory. A potential
0: podcast episode is to get Darren Dodds on the phone, Tom, and break that news to Darren. Can we have
1: have Justin George in here or somebody who's one of the the decent Mid-South wrestling historians? So
0: interestingly enough, (laughs) last night I found myself in a group text (laughs) (laughs) about wrestling Mount Rushmore. Justin was in it. Of course, (laughs) Tim Sanders is in it because Tim Sanders literally could write the book on wrestling history. (laughs) That dude's retention of useless wrestling knowledge is phenomenal. I I laugh about it because
2: being the only
0: Yankee in the room.
2: And Angus is sitting over here all
0: smug about it as if. Well, you know, what I was
2: sitting here thinking is it seems like, we talk about wrestling a lot. We talk about wrestling But, you know, a lot. we're all like 45 to over 50 a little bit. But if you think about why, I'm not. my kids never talk about it because they never see it. But when we were young, I remember we got one channel. We got channel 13. And i'd get up on saturday mornings real early and i had to wait for this preacher to go off then super friends <laughs> came on then wrestling but yeah. all of us were like that that's all you know we had a one or two cartoons and it was wrestling super friends hold on you can't
1: you, see it let me finish you can't lump me into that group i didn't get really indoctrinated into the wrestling until i went to graduate school as a master's student and I have a master's degree in forestry. Yeah, which by, I don't tell but by a lot that point, that wasn't real wrestling. <laughs> no, was, it wasn't. That was fake rest. That's right. <laughs> but we'd go hang out at my buddy's trailer with all the forestry students and watch wrestling. I wanted to watch the Monday night football game, and usually <laughs> I didn't get to watch the Monday night football game because wrestling was on. So I kind of had to watch. Yeah. So I have a little bit. Yeah, but I'm telling you by that point that was not. No, that's right. I know. That's what everybody keeps telling me.
2: So. I wasn't ate up with it now. I watched it because there was one channel when it that's, came out. So that on was kind of, of my deal.
1: Yeah. I, I mean See, I wasn't ate up with is it. Totally gonna get back into it now with the whole <laughs> retrospective comments about him as a wrestler.
0: So Whitney, where do you stand on
3: I'm clueless. <laughs> <laughs> I got I got nothing. <laughs>
0: well, good. It just bogs you down and takes yes, up space in your brain. My question that I had while Angus was sitting over here pondering on insects he wasn't getting to see, and then we got off on a sidetrack on wrestling. Whitney, what do you think Angus's favorite insect is?
3: Something cool. It'd have to have like massive mouth parts or something. Yep. Hercules beetle.
0: Like piercing, sucking mouth
3: parts. Or a dobson fly.
2: Oh, well, I do like the dobson flies, but I think if I had to pick one, I get asked this all the time, and I don't know that I really got a favorite, but I think my next tattoo, Is going to be a praying man with the back wing spread. I took a picture of one like that not long ago, and I think that's what I'm going to get. So I guess that would elevate it pretty high on the list. I like it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. If you're going to take it with you everywhere you go, I'd say that's a pretty (laughs) solid choice, dude. (laughs) I don't know that I have a favorite. So Dobson fly with a D O B. They're cool,
2: though. They got a the what male is that? has got huge mandibles. Helgramite is the larvae. They like in rivers and all. They're big. They're they're cool.
3: They're nasty, but they are cool.
2: I didn't
0: see all that coming. <laughs> I, I mean, I was going with like budworm moth something. <laughs> no, it wouldn't something be something I might actually have heard. It wouldn't about. be
2: any of the pests that we have to control in crops. It, it would have to be something more exotic. Or like people send you pictures all the time. Want an ID, like family member found a hickory horn devil or something crazy i mean kind of like your uh pink stem stinky top mushroom what's it called <laughs> 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 look my son finds these in knoxone county he said they're pink stem stinky
1: top angus. and he sent me a picture is that and a real a, is that's what it thing looked. that ain't the name no that's not what they're called angus had this conversation since you <laughs> arrived for lunch. It doesn't today. matter. It doesn't
0: matter what they're called. They it's, should be called. They should be. It's got a stem, pink stem and a stinky top. What's the real name? It's the
1: dog stinkhorn fungus. Dog stinkhorn.
2: That's not. That's not bad. But I like the.
0: But it
1: has a
2: pink stem and a stinky top. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. It does.
0: Several minutes of mindless babbling before we get to the actual <laughs> topic. Angus, why don't you introduce what you and Whitney wanted to talk about today? We're going to try not to have to resuscitate Tom over here since he's <laughs> it's
2: hot. One of the things we wanted to talk about today, and we've been for several years have been talking about introducing this topic, I guess, more broadly, but we have all Uh, The entomologists in this room and across the Mid-South and really across the Cotton Belt have been evaluating uh, Thrive-On, that's the trade name, cotton, which is sometimes called ligus cotton. But it's a new trait that actually has control of thrips and tarnished plant bugs. And it's out now, I shouldn't say it's out, it is semi-deregulated. They're still waiting on approval in Mexico and Korea. Other than that, it is deregulated. Might be another year before we get full deregulation, but the reason it's time to start having this topic is Bayer has this out on bigger acres now with with growers, so people are starting to kind of get their first look at it this year. We've been looking at it for years um, all the entomologists like kind of help them bring the technology forward so we got a lot of experience with it but now that consultants are really kind of getting their first walk in it they're starting to be questions about how do you manage this technology what can you expect and so on so this may be a good time for us to hit on some of this
0: it's a technology that targets thrips targets plant bugs so that's the what give us a just kind of an overview of the how
2: it's a BT technology, but most of the BT technologies that everyone is familiar with is, of course, BT cotton that's traditionally been for lepidopterous pests or caterpillars. So th- this is a, uh, th- which don't have any bug control, by the way. So this is a, a, a BT. It's a different version. It does not have any control of caterpillar pests. And ironically, the only two things it really controls in our region that we, that we deal with would be thrips and I think they kind of found that part out by happenstance but then tarnished plant bugs so that's the two targets here uh, of course it'll be stacked with a bogard 3 so you'll get the lep control but that gene does not control them
0: here's my ignorance of insects but is a thrip and a plant
2: bug are they semi closely related you know not really <laughs> uh, <laughs> they're not even in the same order which is kind of funny but they're not. So then it's just kind of random that this that this one BT would be active on both of those? Well, one of the things I believe that a lot of people that George Kennedy at NC State has kind of figured out, uh, particularly with thrips, it's more of an avoidance thing uh, than a direct mortality. So they tend to avoid it. And there's some of that with the plant bugs too. So it's a little different than what we've experienced with the caterpillar traits in the past, but there's a heavy avoidance. I don't know what it is, whether they detect it or whatever, but they tend to avoid this toxin. It does have some some mortality. It's not just that, but there's a lot of avoidance with it as well. So is it too much biology to talk about how avoidance works? Well, it's too much for me to to talk about
1: exactly how it works. Whitney may know. (laughs) So they avoid it based on an odor or a flavor or something, or they don't even feed on it to determine what that is. Well, with Caterpillars,
2: we do know with regular BT technologies, they can detect detect the toxin. So we've known that. They've proven that in labs many times. If you give them a choice, they'll detect it and move to a cell or whatever that doesn't have it. Now, I'm not sure exactly how this, this technology is working. I mean, it's that new, but but there's definitely, it's, it's pretty clear cut that there's a lot of avoidance with it for whatever way it may be happening, whether they probe it and detect it or, or whatever.
3: I also don't know.
2: That was a Bad question. (laughs) No, it was it was a good question, but we don't know the exact science of at the molecular level or whatever's happening. I don't know that. I can't explain it. We we know about the control and, and all of that kind of stuff and that's kind of the things that we wanted to talk about today, really is just from an expectation standpoint.
1: Well, Whitney, with what Angus had alluded to in mind, do you manage this particular cotton? any differently for thrips than what you would cotton that contain the other technologies?
3: Yes. So I think the the thing about this thrive on cotton is it's gonna be a little bit different mindset than other BT cotton. But in regards to thrips, we aren't currently recommending that we will spray a foliar application. I'm not saying in situations it may not happen, but when we look at the amount of damage that we see in Thrive On technology compared to non-Thrive On technology. There are pretty substantial differences in the amount of control with, in a situation with no seed treatment. So I guess really um, talking about our damage, our thrips damage. A lot of times when we start seeing yield decreases on our scale, we would see a three. In high populations that we've had this year, we're looking at like a one and a half or two. So very minimal thrips damage in regards to what we would consider a high thrips presser situation.
2: So that scale, a consultant wouldn't understand the scale. It's kind of universally adopted across the academics for rating thrips trials across the whole cotton belt. And essentially it's a zero to five scale. So if you think about it, a zero would be, pristine, no damage. A five would almost be a dead plant. So a three would fall somewhere in the middle, which I've saw a lot of threes on commercial cotton tree with them to cloper this year, a lot of threes, but we had heavy thrips pressure. But if you start thinking about from a yield loss standpoint from thrips, when we get to a three, what we would call a three, that means The possibility of yield loss is there. We're not really there all the time, but it starts coming in. We may or may not see it because of the ability of cotton to compensate. When we start getting above a three, yield loss from thrips becomes much more more common. But still, you never know. But we have to at least get generally past a three scale to, to start seeing damage and what and, and you had some of the worst on your thrive on this year but what did you you, you maybe got to a two you I say? did
3: I, I considered it a two so when when I were look we have a graduate student that's looking at variable seed or varying rate to seed treatments and so when you compared the technology without technology that that first rating you couldn't really pick it out but by the time we got to that three to four leaf stage there was you could see where that technology was so you could pick out Every thrive-on plot in regards to thrips management, they just looked healthier. The vigor was increased. That leaf was expanded more. Um, So very big differences, even in a high-pressure situation.
2: The best that we can tell, and I don't know how many years a lot of people in the cotton belt has had this technology when it was fully regulated to evaluate, even in some of the worst thrips areas in the country, like Virginia and places like that, where they kill the cotton commonly uh, south carolina sometimes tennessee they get much worse thrips pressure than we do with this technology even without a seed treatment added to it we have not seen a situation yet where it would have been justifiable to ever treat this cotton for thrips so coming out of the gate our recommendation will be we're not going to spray thrips on it now i would hate to just throw the hammer down and say we are never going to treat it because you never know what's going to happen either but every in every we don't even have an outlier right now across the cotton belt where this cotton would have needed a foliar supplemental treatment for thrips so it is very 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 good on thrips
3: i would also like to point out so in our research plots we actually cut plants and wash them in a lab and count them in the underneath a microscope this year when i mean per five plants we're looking at roughly 200 just as an estimate really really high populations our thrive on plots had about 50% less than what our non BT or non thrive on plots have, which can attest back to what Angus was talking about about that avoidance behavior. So, not only are we seeing decreased damage, we're also seeing less thrips.
2: So, it's going to take a mindset change because what she just said, they're finding 200. 200- Immatures and adults on a five plant sample and non thrive on, but they're still finding a bunch on a thrive on, but the damage is not there. That's going to be an adjustment for our consultants. Our consultants are going to see thrips on this cotton, but they don't necessarily cause the damage. And that's going to be hard to walk away from to us. And to some extent, they're going to have to just trust us. Hey, you don't spray it. But when they start
1: seeing it, they're going to figure it out because the damage won't be there. How does that relate to what would be considered a Cadillac thrips treatment at plant? What would be the Cadillac treatment? Aldicarb. Egg Yeah. Ag-Logic. And how would Thrive On relate then to Aldicarb?
2: Very similarly. okay, yeah, I yep. agree with that. Very similar to, to Ag- logic or, or the old Timic Aldicarb, yes.
0: The 50% reduction that you talked about, what might be your expectation for numbers of thrips on a treated plot?
3: We had some treated plots that still looked like that just because we were high populations. But... Hopefully, in that kind of situation, we would be looking at, you know, more in the teens...
2: It's kind of the same scenario we talked about recently with plant bugs. In a bad thrips year, I mean, if you're standing in a field rating plots with a white piece of paper, there's going to be thrips on your white piece of paper. There's going to be thrips on Thrive on Cotton. There's going to be thrips on AgLogic Cotton. It don't mean they're causing damage. They're going to be on it. It's going to, we're going to have to get away from the numbers, and we're going to have to move to more of a plant-based, let the plant tell you something's going on, maybe a damage, but we've never reached a damage threshold that we'd treat thrips. So it's going to be a really, really good thrips thrips product. In the database
0: thus far, you said that you did have a case where you had data that suggested you needed to treat this cotton for thrips. On average, how many times do we treat cotton for thrips? Yeah. You know, and that's of course factors in variety of seed treatments, no seed treatments, and different things like that. But just way up high, what's our average number?
2: I would say in a normal Year, this year's not normal. We had horrible thrips numbers. In a normal year, we'd probably treat 30 40% of the cotton in addition to a seed treatment. This year, it would be much much higher than that, and some of it got multiple applications. So it depends on the year. Also, what you're dealing with now is neonic resistance and thrips, so that has that plays into it as yeah. well. Yeah, I knew there was a bunch but, of yeah, factors yeah, there's, too there's a lot of factors, it but, but we, we probably treated upwards of 80% some multiple times this year just because of the pressure. So it depends a lot on the year, but Growers are going to get a lot of help on this on thrips. I mean, it's going to be – they're going to be shocked. And I've already talked to consultants that happen to have a grower that is growing some of these plots for Bayer this year, and they're like, wow, this is unbelievable. I mean, they picked up on it instantly without knowing a lot about it. Other Because we haven't talked about this a lot at meetings. All this was going to be rolled out this past year a lot more with the educational part, kind of like we're talking about now, but COVID stopped it.
3: I think it's also going to help as we see the last couple of years. acetate hasn't been working as well, and that yeah. tends to be a go-to for foliar applications.
2: So the timeliness of it's going to be good. What about the effectiveness on plant bugs? That's where it gets a lot more complicated. Um, it's going to be it's going to be a be a, uh, a big help on plant bugs, but it's not a complete it's not a stopper on plant bugs, which is makes it a management headache for people. Um, what it does. I hate to throw a number at it, but what it'll do on plant bugs, there's some of that same avoidance. We don't see as many large nymphs in there. On average, in Mississippi, in in the Delta, where plant bugs are bad, we have saved about one, sometimes two, sprays compared to non-thrive-on cotton. The difference is they do not build nearly as quickly, so you will have a little more time to react if you looked at untreated thrive on compared to maybe a sister line that's non thrive on whereas a normal population of plant bugs once they get to, once they get their feet under them and you start seeing them nips build you know almost exponentially it'll be a slow increase with the thrive on you'll eventually spray it but you may be 7 to 10 14 days later and that's where that savings comes in on sprays. Now, here's the most important part, and this is going to be really hard, and we got it. Where we're just going to take a lot of education. If you're cheating our thresholds in thrive on cotton, you won't realize that spray. That 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 savings of one to two sprays, you won't see it. And what I mean by that, if I just say on average, our threshold and for a drop cloth, is three bugs per five row feet. No consultant in the world is going to walk out of a, a walk into a, a normal cotton field that doesn't have this technology, and if they run in 2.6, not treat. I wouldn't either. I mean, because three days later it's going to be 3.6. They know that. They're going to spray it. In Thrive on Cotton, where we've done all these tests and, and we stick to the numbers, that 2.6 next week might still be 2.6 or it might be 2.7, and it might take 10 or 12 days to get to that above threshold and that's where when we stick to these thresholds we haven't seen ourselves being any big danger of taking any you know any yield loss for the most part and that's where that savings comes in so it's going to be educational piece for our for our consultants it's going to be a headache for them um, you know managing this cotton at first till they get used to it but once they get used to it I think they're going to really like it because it gives them some reaction time. One thing you mentioned
0: on the episode about plant bugs, was the timeliness of waiting on a ground application versus, you know, we're at threshold, get the plane now because it's that bad. So it may be a case like that where
3: you, you, may, you may
0: still have that application, but it may buy you that time to where you do get around on it with a yeah, ground application. A
2: hundred percent. It would be an analogy like this. What if Palmer pigweed only grew an eighth of an inch? a day versus an inch a day. it's kind of yeah, like that that's right it gives you some time to react and i think that that's going to be welcomed and i think in the hill region we may have caught we don't spray at all i mean we're going to spray it some but i mean it may really be a benefit in some of these marginal areas where they're not super intense pressure i mean it could be a game changer for some of these guys is that
1: going to change any of your verbiage in the control guide or are you going to have to add an asterisk for any of that information Well, if right now
2: we we ran a graduate student through looking at thresholds and what we decided is that this time we didn't want to change or like double the threshold or anything like that. As long as you in this cotton really do use the threshold and stick to it, we feel like it's fine to not change anything. What it's going to take is Us getting the word out and having these conversations with the people that are in the field making decisions and making them kind of understand what we've been looking at for the last decade, you know, as we've been evaluating this stuff. It's just it's just going to be a learning curve, in in my opinion, 100% learning curve. Look at square retention. We talked about square retention a lot in this Thrive on Cotton. It's going to be better. I mean, you're going to see it. So you'll see the plant react to it, not losing squares as quick and some of that kind of stuff. Are you going to spray it? Yeah, you're going to spray it. If really bad bugs, adults migrating in early squaring, you're going to lose some squares. You're going to, you might get below the 80% square attention, but your counterpart uh, sister line over there would be at 30%. So it's it's that kind of difference. It's not 100%, it won't keep 100% of them out, but it's the addition, the help that we're gonna get from it will be extremely beneficial.
0: Angus, this is a new technology for one major cotton pest in thrips and then with some activity on plant bugs, which obviously, particularly this time of year, is the one of the number one concerns. So compare it with when original BT came out for the the caterpillars, so that was a huge deal. I mean, you were, you were just a pup back then yourself, but that was a big deal. What's the expectation from original BT to this?
2: Well, it won't be like what BT technology was on budworm. I mean, that was a, a, a game changer on budworm. I'd say it'd be closer to single gene BT cotton on bollworm. Maybe not quite there, maybe kind of equal. It's hard, it's hard to say. I think just the fact that you don't see the exponential increase in plant bugs in this cotton, which has always been our problem with plant bugs. They, just, they expand so rapidly and blow up so quickly. The fact that you have time to react, uh, the fact that you might save a spray or two, take some of the pressure off your insecticides. I think there's going to be a lot of benefits to this cotton if we learn how to do it if we learn how to manage it or we manage it correctly. If you just say, I'm going to go out there and spray it when I see plant bugs, you're not going to see benefits from it. The benefits are there, but you're not going to see them as much as your neighbor. You're not going to realize those spray benefits, reductions rather.
0: Will it be a slow launch or kind of zero to 60 kind of launch?
2: Well, right now, because they're in what they call the stewarded phase, because I mentioned they don't have full approval in some of the uh, two, two other major countries that they're interested in getting it in. They're going to slow launch it, but I would think this would give them plenty of time for seed increase. I mean, some of the varieties they're in that we've looked at yield really well. So 2023 is probably realistic. I think I think so. I think we probably will still be stewarded next year based on what some of our bear reps have told us, uh, just because everything's slow right now, even because COVID's even affecting some of this.
1: Well, we definitely appreciate having Angus and Whitney in the studio here to discuss this pretty important new technology, even though it. it appears to be a a year or more off, but I think that's pretty important to start talking about those types of things now, so we really appreciate that. Our regular listeners, again, really appreciate the thoughtful comments that continue. The texts, and you know, when Jason starts editing those videos, definitely will increase the footprint across the internet. Yeah, I really video, can the see video that happening. The, yeah, video that'll be a big step for yeah, us. Video will be a huge step. Not so exactly it, sure when those cameras are due so to come in, but as soon
0: as I train you to do this, we'll get
1: right <laughs> on those videos. <laughs> exactly. Uh, as always, we really appreciate it and, and thanks. Good to see you all. Thanks, thanks, With